a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus reigned over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that was spoken, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Over the years, um, as a spiritual director, I have been able to uh, accompany many people throughout a discernment process, and as, they're, and as they begin uh, a vocation. And so, all different kinds of people with all different kinds of vocations, right? Couples preparing for marriage, individuals preparing for marriage young men and young women entering religious life and uh, men entering the priesthood and other people beginning a new ministry or a change of life. And it's interesting, after they have chosen the particular path, or after their discernment has been complete and they have been living it for a few months, I always ask them, you know, how are things going? now that you have discerned and you sort of have begun your, your vocation. And usually the response is, is something like this. The, the community or my spouse, the ministry is great. I couldn't imagine things to be any better. I'm so happy. And as the months and the years go by, their answer to that question, how are you and the Lord? How are things? It begins to change. And generally, you know, things remain the same, or things remain good. But the community, or the spouse, or the ministry, is no longer what they thought it was at first. It's no longer the missing piece or the answer to their life. It no longer has the excitement or the emotional high, the fireworks that it did when they were first discerning. And they discover, much to their surprise, that their vocation looks nothing like they once thought or they once believed how it would look. And every time when we sort of arrive at this point, there is a bit of a, a crisis. 
And a natural question always arises. Did I discern properly? And for the most part, usually, they have. However, what has happened in their vocation? They have been led into Nazareth. Nazareth in this context being an analogy for ordinary life. I think for most of us, and this was certainly true for myself, I thought that once I entered into my vocation, that my life would no longer be ordinary that I wouldn't have to deal with things that ordinary people deal with in ordinary life. And you know, ordinary life, for the most part, is ordinary. Young people would say, it's boring. Which is why most people try to escape it through some means. And there are so many means. There are so many ways of trying to escape ordinary life. You know, if you think about your life for a moment, or think about just your average day. You know, we wake up, we pray, we eat, we interact with others, do some ministry, maybe read a little bit, and then we go to bed. Now, obviously there are high points and there are exciting points, moments in our life for sure. However, life for the most part is not like an amusement park. Meaning we're not usually going from one thrill or one exciting thing to another. But life is more like a desert. There are not a lot of changes in the desert. There's not a lot of thrills in the desert. There's not a lot of consolation or stimulus in the desert. I hope this doesn't sound depressing. <laughs> but life is more like a desert than an amusement park. Keep in mind, though, that biblically the desert is always, always the place of transformation, of real growth, of interior depth, an encounter with God. Life as a desert instead of an amusement park, for most people, is very difficult to accept. We expect life to be like a movie, 
filled with excitement, filled with romance and adventure. I think one of the greatest challenges, at least for me, in evangelizing or speaking with young people today is to try to convince them or to, sh- to show them that real life is nothing like the way it's depicted on social media. I can't tell, I'm sure you've all had these conversations, but it blows my mind how some people, their whole interpretation of life is through social media. Most things on social media are completely staged. It's, it's like a performance, right? It's a, it's a three-second shot into somebody's life that took about 20 minutes to get that picture. It's just not real. Real life is not staged. And it's definitely not a performance. And because it's not, this challenges our faith. This challenges our ideas about who we think God is. And it challenges our ideas about who we think we are. And what our life should be. And because ordinary life does this, it is so good for us. Ordinary life is like God's medicine. It is like God's therapy for our exaggerated, unrealistic image and expectation of God, of ourselves, and of others. It's genius what God does in ordinary life, if we allow Him to. Pope Paul VI, reflecting on the hidden life in Nazareth, he says that Nazareth should teach us how to meditate. It should teach us how to reflect on the deeply spiritual and to be open to the voice of God's inner wisdom. It can teach us the value of study, of meditation, of a well-ordered spiritual life, and of silent prayer that is known only to God. In other words, he's saying that ordinary life is where the spiritual life, our relationship with God, thrives. Because it is what is most real. You know, up at the monastery uh, where I'm the chaplain, often, well, A lot of times, 
somebody will say to me, who is on retreat, you know, if I lived here, I would pray so much better. I always say immediately, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't let them entertain that daydream for a second because it's not true. I say, no, you wouldn't. And they look at me. <laughs> and I say, if you can't pray where you are, you're never going to pray well. Obviously, some places are more conducive. Obviously. However, if we cannot pray in our ordinary life where God is, we're never going to be able to pray. There's no better place for us to pray as we've already reflected on. And so it is within this context and this setting where Mary now finds herself. In fact, the whole, obviously, all of the Holy Family finds themselves. And as we have been hearing all week, up until this point, our, our Lady's life has been pretty dramatic. An angel has appeared to her. She's given birth to Jesus on the road. Shepherds and Magi are visiting her. Herod is seeking to kill her and her son. And now, as she returns from Egypt to Nazareth, things will take another dramatic shift. But as a shift into the basic, ordinary things of daily life. And it's interesting to note that this is how Mary and Jesus will spend the majority, the overwhelming majority of their life. You know, many biblical scholars say that the Holy Family probably spent three to four years in Egypt. So that means Jesus is coming back to Nazareth when he's three or four years old. Jesus dies at the age of 33, and his public ministry is only three years. Which means that Jesus spent about 25 years of his 33 years living with Mary an ordinary life. It's extraordinary to consider that God, who is completely extraordinary, when he comes to earth, he spends most of his time living like us, in circumstances like us, facing situations like we face. In St. John's prologue, we hear that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Greek, as you all know, that term means that Jesus tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. And in Revelation chapter 21, John expresses this so beautifully when he says, 
The dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them. So what did the incarnation look like practically for Mary? The one who was privileged to be with him from the very beginning. What specifically did Mary do with Jesus in Nazareth? What she did with him was just so utterly human. She ate with him. She prayed with him. She laughed with him. She spoke to him. She listened to him. She walked with him. She lived her entire life with him. Nothing was excluded. You know, I don't think Mary thought about her life the way we often do. You know, oftentimes we say, I have my spiritual life over here, I have my ministry or social life or work life over here, then I have my own personal time, my own personal life over here. For Mary, there was just life. There was no spiritual life, no active life, no contemplative life. There was just life with Jesus. Sometimes that life was very quiet and peaceful. Sometimes it was busy and stressful. Sometimes it was painful and confusing. I'm sure you all have seen the movie The Passion, right? Well, if you ever want to see a grown man cry, that's me, <laughs> watch this scene. This scene kills me in a good way. But Jesus has just been arrested, and he's having a flashback to Nazareth. And in this flashback, he's working on a table and a chair, and Mary comes out, and you know she basically says, you know, what are you doing? And they're talking, and they have this just this beautiful exchange where they're just sort of kidding with each other. And then Mary says for him to come in, it's time to eat. And Jesus is about to approach, uh, approach their house. And Mary says, you know, take off your, your dirty vest that he's wearing. And so he does that, and she has a bowl of water, and she says, wash your hands. So Jesus washes his hands, and then he sprinkles water on Mary's face. And he gives her the biggest hug and he kisses her on the cheek, and you just see her face smile. You see this beautiful smile, 
happened on her face. That scene is so beautiful because it's the beauty of Nazareth. It's the beauty of life. It's the beauty of life lived with Jesus and Mary. It is, that is what Jesus is thinking about as he's about to begin his passion, at least in the moon. <laughs> so if an ordinary life is good enough, and not only good enough, but chosen by Jesus himself and the Immaculate Conception, should it not be good enough for us? Should it not be chosen and even desired by us? And does this not also mean that ordinary life is the normal place where we will find God? Simply because that's where God has us most of the time. You know, when people come to the monastery and they say that if I lived here, I would pray better. I have to remind them again that it's in your ordinary life where God is. Yes, he's with you here on retreat, but this is not your life. And so, what is all of this telling us? It's reminding us that the real journey in life is interior. That life is an interior journey of faith. And so, just to qualify this a bit, You know, much today is written and spoken of the importance of of living in the present moment. It's very popular today, and I think a lot of the reason why that's popular is because of just the influence of mindfulness and, and other certain things. And living in the present moment is very good, obviously. But what we're talking about here is not just living in the present moment. We're talking about living our ordinary life in the present moment with faith. Living ordinary life with faith in God's presence and in God's love. You know, oftentimes I've had conversations with people who the present moment is enough. And I'll just say to them, I'll say, don't you think there's something behind or involved in the present moment? And this one man said to me, well, it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, it really does matter. (laughs) And so we're talking here about living ordinary life, living in the present moment, but with deep faith. But this faith asks something of me. 
In uh, the Vatican II document, Dei Verbum, in paragraph 5, the Council Fathers write very beautifully about how our faith is a personal response to the Word of God, to the revelation of God. And they remind us that it is a response that demands our whole self to what God has revealed. You know, people love to talk today. You know, there's, everyone likes to talk about God, about theology and philosophy. Everybody has a podcast about God, it seems like. <laughs> and that's good to talk about it. But faith is not just sitting back and talking about God. It's not just sitting back and saying, well, I believe that this is true. But it's forming and shaping my whole life around this truth, around this revelation of God. And specifically, this means that my ordinary life, which is the majority of my life, demands from me a personal response to the truth of who God is. This means that when I'm preparing dinner or when I'm in the doctor's office or when I'm stuck in traffic somewhere or when I'm alone and I'd rather be out with other people doing other things, it means that all of these ordinary moments of our life are a tremendous means and opportunity for us to grow in intimacy with God. How do I grow in intimacy with God? Through faith. Specifically faith in the midst of ordinary life. Faith when nothing seems overtly spiritual. In Romans chapter 1, St. Paul talks about the obedience of faith. And the fathers at the Second Vatican Council use this phrase to refer ultimately to what faith must be and what it is. A personal response to the revelation of God. And it is Our Lady who most perfectly embodies the obedience of of faith. The church reminds us that Mary's faith never wavered. She never ceased to believe in the fulfillment of God's word, which is why we venerate in Mary the purest realization of faith. Mary is an icon for us of what faith is and what it's meant to look like. This is why Mary's life in Nazareth, her ordinary life with Jesus, is so beautiful. Because even though on the surface it is ordinary, her obedience of faith 
makes it extraordinary. And this is how our ordinary life can be beautiful and how we can be transformed in the midst of what is ordinary. You know, it's great to realize we can be stuck in a traffic jam with Jesus. We can be waiting in a doctor's office with Jesus. We can live our ordinary life with him, like Mary did. So how do we know if we have faith? Or how can we tell the quality and the depth of our faith? It's simply when we live our ordinary life like Mary did. You know, if you want to know if you're really praying, if you want to know if you're really growing in your relationship with God, 99% of the time, the answer to those questions are not revealed during times of prayer or spiritual exercises. They are revealed and can be seen most clearly in how we live ordinary life. How we treat the people God places in our life. How we respond to the crosses and the difficulties in our life. How we react when someone close to us is praised. But also how we react when someone close to us has fallen or is struggling. You know, oftentimes we make God so abstract and so spiritual when most of the time He is so concrete and so practical. And our life is proof of that. And so what would Mary say to us regarding all of this? I believe she would say these very difficult words to us. Your life is perfect. Not meaning that it is free of suffering or trials or heartaches, because no life is free of that. But that your life and my life is perfect for an encounter with God. That your life and my life is perfect to live with God. And that your life right now is everything you need to grow in your relationship with God and respond more deeply to the obedience of faith that is asked of us. 
May Our Lady, who is the perfect embodiment of faith, intercede for us today so that we, like her, can live our ordinary life with him and through him and in him. Amen.